Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Well, it's that time again, Geek Block Heads. It's Mothership Monday. Gather your tribbles up in your lap and settle in for the Geek Block. I'm your host, Carla Hoke. Today is a very special edition of the Geek Block, as it is its first solo mission. And it is also the first Fight Right, F-I-G-H-T-W-R-I-T-E dot net edition. Yes, I am the proud owner of FightRight.net, and it should be up and running soon. It's a place for you writers to go for fighting information. Weekly, you'll learn a little bit um, about fighting or weaponry. There'll be tons of videos, and I'll be taking questions from fight writers as well. Uh, So far, I have already compiled, oh, goodness, forging some swords, basic sword forging, liver punches, why fight, why you're fighting, um, cauliflower ears, a lot of different things. So little things that you may not be able to find out there, you can just come to fightright.net for one-stop shopping. If you would like to contract me to read your fight scene and write a summary for you, you can contact me through Quill Pen Editorial Services. They will send your fight scene straight to me. And again, I will write a summary. I will not touch your work in any way. I will just write my thoughts on it and you may make changes as you like. First of all, for those of you who don't know me, I have a background in MMA, Taekwondo, Muay Thai, and I'm currently a student, will always be a student, of street defense as well as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Professor Eddie Eddie Avalar, who is a fifth degree black belt in Kung Fu, third degree in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Uh, What else? Oh, he's an instructor of Filipino stick fighting as well as knife fighting. He's a former MMA fighter and basically just an all-around really dangerous person. Um, I also assist him in some of his self-defense workshops, during which he beats me up thoroughly. Um, But if I encounter a question from you all that I'm not completely sure of, he is one of my go-to guys. So you can guarantee that what I'm telling you is going to be true or I ain't going to say it at all. By the way, street defense includes weaponry such as guns and knives. Okay, here we go. I put a word out to the herd and you all sent in some fantastic questions for me to answer uh, on the Geek Block today. And I hope to answer them enough to help you out, but not so much that you don't want to see me address it further on fightright.net. That should be up and running within the next two weeks. Rest assured when it is full steam ahead, I will let you guys know. But I don't want to uh, put it out there until it is ready and chock full of cool info for you guys. Here we go. Um, This first question is one I have actually fielded several times, and I have personal experience with it as I am, uh, if I'm feeling optimistic, I'm 5'2". It was asked most recently by Kristen Stifel and Jason Joyner. 
what would you advise for a big mismatch in size? Okay, first of all, I always go into a fight looking at the advantage of each opponent versus the disadvantage. That is something I, I mentioned to people during self-defense. Don't look at what your attacker is taking from you. Look at, look at what they're giving you. For example, are they leaving their face open? Are they leaving their liver open to you? Um, and I think the same applies when two opponents of very differing size are going up against each other. Now, thing, all skill level being equal, Advantage is generally going to go to the bigger opponent because of the power um, behind their punch. I mean, they have more mass uh, behind their punch. That's science. I can't change that. Wish I could. Um, they also have a greater reach with not only their um, punches, but their kicks. If you're a bigger person, you're going to have longer arms. You're going to have longer legs. This is why there are weight classes in fighting. It is not because um, one is necessarily one fighter is better, necessarily better than the other. You just have more power behind the punch of the bigger people. Um, smaller, however, is not always a disadvantage. Um, it serves me very well on the ground in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, especially with larger opponents. I have found that when I am with a larger opponent on the mat, um, their body is big enough that I find gaps. It is much harder for a small person to uh, fight against another small person than it is a larger person. Um, also, small folks are often close to the chest of their opponent. So you think, uh, you know, head level right there, depending on how large the opponent is, you may be head level with their heart, lungs, livers, arteries in their neck, their face, and their groin is uh, more available for attack. Um, a word about groins. If you were at Realm Makers <laughs> 2016, you told me, uh, you heard me say, don't bother with the groin. And that's almost always true. Um, kicking and punching a man or woman, yes, you can hit women in the groin. Yes, it does hurt. Um, it, it just tends to make things worse. In uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, we, oh my gosh, every day we step on crotches, we slide across them on our shins, we put our knees into them, and not once have I ever seen anybody curl up and stop fighting because of it. The exception I spoke of is something taught in self-defense known as the grip and rip. Hashtag that. I actually uh, demoed that this past Saturday carefully, and uh, it got the desired effect out of the viewers and done correctly, it will 100% of the time get the desired effect out of your attacker. Groins are very, like I said, very accessible to short people. Grip and rip, I'll leave it at that. So again, small people, you need to get close up to your opponent in order, order to open opportunities. There's two places you need to be. The safest place, obviously, is going to be beyond um, the punching and the kicking. The next safest place for you to be is very close to the person because if you're very close up on them, they cannot get the power behind their punch. Um, punching is a lot like throwing, not throwing, it's a lot like swinging a bat. You have to have torque. You have to have torque behind it. The uh, arms and hands when you swing a bat, that's actually the least of the uh, vehicle. The greatest part of the vehicle with the bat comes, starts with the feet and it goes through the hips and the shoulders and it's the exact same thing with punching. The closer you are 
to your opponent, the more you're going to take away that torque. Now, they're going to still hit you. You're going to get hit. That's the only way around it. Don't think your character is going to walk into a fight scene, go fisticuffs with somebody, and walk away without any injury whatsoever. Um, even if they're attacker, the attacker, even if the opponent never gets to throw a shot back, the attacker is still going to be hurt on their knuckles, if nothing else. And if they punch their opponent in the teeth, they're going to tear up their knuckles with the person's teeth. So you have to get close to them to take away the torque of their punch. Um, stay on your feet if at all possible. It is easier to take your opponent to the ground uh, if you're small. Um, I don't mean it's easier. It is easy to take a large opponent to the ground, even if you're small. You wouldn't think so, but it, it, it is quite easy. And I think there is some advantage, again, to being small on the ground. However, it is harder to get away when you're on the ground. You want to be able to get away. And also, um, it is easier for your opponent to hide weaponry on the ground. When you're standing up, you know, you have um, about 180 degree view if you turn your head side to side and you can look and see what your opponent is doing on all sides. If you're on the ground, you don't have that advantage. So going to the ground has a disadvantage there. Small people, again, if you're going to attack a large opponent, you either need to stay outside and wait. I didn't address this. Stay outside and wait until they punch or kick. When you punch or kick, you are leaving your body open. Go ahead right now, wherever you're sitting, and put a punch out in front of you. You will notice that your ribs are exposed. If you kick, you are also uh, making yourself very vulnerable and exposing your body. In the past, when I was up against a larger opponent, especially in Taekwondo, when they kicked, as soon as I saw a little switch in their hips or that knee come up, I jumped inside so that they struck me with their knee versus their shin. It still hurts, but it doesn't hurt as bad. Same thing with the punch. When you jump in on a punch, you of course still need to guard your chin, but you will be struck by the, uh, the fighter's elbow or forearm versus a fist. Again, it still hurts, but it is not as lethal. So small people need to get in on the inside to take away the power of the torque by the larger person. And it also gives you an opportunity to use weaponry against the person at close range. I will do a video demo of that at some point. I'm sure I will. Okay, here we go. Uh, the very next question, where is it? It is from Pam Halter, and I'm glad she asked it, as it is kind of a pet peeve of mine as a country girl. Here is her scenario. Humble villagers slash farmers whose town is being attacked by mutants. They have the spirit to defend their homes and families, but they have no battle experience. I don't want them to be annihilated, but it feels kind of stupid for them to be able to survive, even though they're getting some help from the forest people. Dwarves come at some point, but I need most of them to survive until that time. First of all, can I just say how much I enjoy <laughs> speculative fiction because the insertion of dwarves and forest people did not make me bat an eye. Well, of course those people would enter the scene. Why not? Okay, farmers. If you remember the story of David and Goliath, King Saul questioned how David would be able to take on Goliath. And David said it was because he was a shepherd, not despite being the shepherd, but because he was a shepherd, okay? Folks, farmers are some, and I'm including herdsmen into farmers, um, such as shepherds. 
the farmers are some of the deadliest people you will ever meet. I don't mean by their attitude, I just mean by their skill set. They are physically strong people. Their life is hard work and they have muscles for it, men and women too. Women working on farms, even now farms where they still have a lot of equipment to help them, they work hard for everything. This is especially true if you have a fantasy setting like Pam Halter has where you have a village. Think about it. Have you ever carried a bucket of water? If you haven't, let me assure you a bucket of water is not only heavy, but it sloshes around. So you're not only building the muscles in your arm it takes to lift, but you're building the muscles in the abdomens it takes to keep that water balanced. You have to move with the sloshing. So these were strong people. Could they bench press? Nah, I don't know. But they could pick up a calf and put it over their shoulders. So it's just a different kind of strong. It's what I call country strong. Um, this lifestyle demanded some tough bodies. On that note, they're also very mentally tough people. They know how to keep going despite how much they're hurting, um, especially in the, in the setting that was mentioned. In order to eat, they had to work. They couldn't go to the refrigerator. They may have had a basket of eggs. They may have had some potatoes on the table. But even then, they had to work to get those cooked. Um, and it didn't matter how much they hurt. You know, it didn't matter if something was broken. It didn't matter if something was bleeding. It didn't matter if you were going into labor. There was no pain medication. There were things you had to get done. So these are mentally tough people that are physically tough as well because they know how to get through pain and to, and to get things done because that, it, it was a necessity. There was no way around it. They are also proficient with tools. Um, they know how to use a machete, axes, knives, scythes, not only proficiently, but efficiently. If you have never used any of those, you don't understand that um, you have to get a good angle on the blade and farmers know the best angle to get the most out of their tool. For example, a machete, you don't swing side to side. You kind of keep it at a 45 degree angle. And the more you know about the machete, the more practiced you are with it, the better you know how to hold it. Therefore, the more deadly you would be with it. Um, farmers and herdsmen, they also have to protect their livestock. Uh, going back to King David, he had defended his livestock livestock against bears. I don't know, livestock. Do you say that about sheep? Are sheep considered livestock too? His, his animals will say that. King David defended his sheep uh, from bears and lions, not from wolves and wild dogs, but from bears and lions. They know how to protect what is theirs and they are willing to face their fears in order to do it. Farmers uh, and villagers they also know anatomy and how to cut into it. Um, if they're a farmer, they have to slaughter an animal. And even if they're someone who doesn't necessarily slaughter animals, they've seen dead animals hanging up. I mean, it was the part of the scenery. Um, they know how hard you have to wield a knife in order to, in order to cut through thick flesh. Um, I worked at a vet clinic for a while and um, assisted in surgery and I was always surprised in sewing up and on this occasion it was a dog how hard it was to poke that needle through the skin it's it's not as easy as you would think farmers know this sort of thing they know how hard you have to poke that knife they know how to cut 
Um, they know the orientation of the body where organs are and they know how to hold a blade in order to slip through ribs. On that note, they're accustomed to seeing blood. Now, does that mean it makes them easy to easier for them to kill people? No, but they are not shocked by the sight of blood as much as we would be now. Nowadays, someone gets a bloody nose or, you know, our cat gets in a fight and gets bloodied and, and you know, we get faint. That was not the case then. Um, farmers also have to pull together. I am from the South, in case you didn't guess, and um, I, I am a child of country folk. Um, and I remember my daddy talking about hog killings and I have seen black and white photos of hog killings and it was a community thing. Everybody kind of got around for the hog killing and it wasn't only a time of socializing, but it was a little bit of a necessity because it sure made the event easier. Hogs are huge animals. I'm not talking about a pig. I'm talking about, you know, just a little pig. I'm talking about a hog. You have to get a, to be a certain weight to be considered a hog. And it took several people to do um, to get the pig up for it to drain and everything like that. So farmers know how to work together. That is huge. That's huge. So Pam, your farmers may not have battle experience, but they are well equipped to fight. If it's a surprise attack, yes, even skilled warriors are going to have somewhat of a disadvantage there. But if a child runs up and says that he saw, you know, a band of, I don't know, dwarves, evil warring dwarves coming over the hillside, you can get those country, bet those country folks could get things together and pretty fast. It is, it would not be a foreign concept to them, especially if they were an isolated village, very isolated. Those kind of places are open for attack all the time. So the concept of being attacked would not be strange to them. They would understand it's a possibility and they would have some type of plan in order, I would imagine. Um, would they win the attack? Um, you know, maybe not, but they take down their fair share of folks with them. I hope that answered it. Um, Jesse Roberts would like to know about the psychology of killing in self-defense. I'm guessing the situation would end up quite different for a pacifist who lashed out and a pit fighter who had mentally prepared to kill. I will say there is a mental preparedness that goes into fighting. Any fighter that gets in the cage has mentally prepared for not only the fighting, but the fact that they're going to be fighting another human being. Um, when you spar, sparring doesn't just, and this is something people don't understand, sparring isn't just to teach you to punch. It's not just to build up your cardio. It is to get you okay with the idea of hitting another human in the face. Quite often in class, when we are light sparring, you will see people throw punches to the chest or throw punches to either side of the face. And that is something our coach fusses at us about. And there's been times where he has made us stand and just in front of our opponent and tap him on the chin, tap him on the chin, and then hit him on each side of the jaw just to get you un used to the concept. Because it does not matter how skilled you are if you aren't that's the main thing. So heading into the fight, you know, that pacifist, depending on why they're fighting, may be even more willing than the pit fighter. It depends on what's at stake. And I will talk about that on fightright.net. Um, okay, pro fighters have learned to take emotion out of the event. They have learned to see their opponent as an obstacle to a goal. They're not going in there to kill them. 
like a football player is not going on the field to kill anybody. They're looking to remove them from their goal. And yes, it is a human. And yes, they have to get used to that idea. That reminds me of a History Channel documentary I saw. Uh, once upon a time, I think pre-world, I think it was about, no, it was, it was after, during world, world War One. easy for you to say, there was an incident on the battlefield where an enemy combatant ran against an, uh, ran across an open field and American soldiers fired, every one of them fired shots at him and every single one of them missed. The guy was in open view. Every one of those soldiers was trained. And every one of them shot over the guy's head. It was after that that the American military changed the shape of shooting targets. Up until that point, a shooting target had been square. After that, the shooting target became human-shaped because it's something you have to get into your mind and okay with doing. Um, now, in the case of people who are pit fighters, uh, it's been a long time since I fought to the death. Um, I can't imagine that psychology. I do know a little bit more about the psychology of a serial killer. I can't say that it's the same as a pit fighter, but I would say, I would venture to say they have some things in common. And I know um, in the case of a serial killer, they're not only able to take emotion out of event, but the humanity out of it as well. That's the difference. A fighter can put their emotions in a box and put it on the shelf until after the fight. You will see after the fight, a whole lot of them cry, a whole lot of them get upset. But during the fight, those emotions are in a box. A serial killer puts the emotions in the box and they also put the concept of the importance of human life in that. They, they don't even see that person as a human entity. I don't know if you remember um, the movie, The Silence of the Lambs, but there was a scene where, um, on the news where they were talking about the girl who had been kidnapped and every single time they spoke of her, they used her first and last name. And it was awkward sounding because times when you would normally use the pronoun she or her, they used her name first and last again and again and again. And they said in the movie, it was to remind the killer the girl was human. So apparently that is something they are able to do. Um, I guess that kind of answers it. Um, again, th the main difference between, um, you know, a little soccer mom fighting and a massive heavyweight pit fighter fighting is uh, why they're fighting. You know, a pit fighter who knows his death uh, will earn his family a ton of money. If he has been paid to lose by someone in the town and he knows his family will be taken care of the rest of their life, well, he's not going to fight that much. You know, jump over to a mom defecting, you know, defending her child in a grocery store parking lot. You've got a whole other situation there. Okay, how much time do I have here? Oh, I'm doing good. Jamie Foley said, I know fights in real life tend to be over quickly, so I tend to write accordingly. But at Realm Makers, a best-selling author critiqued my work and said that one fight was too short to be satisfying to the reader. How do you recommend balancing realism with entertainment? That is a very good question. Yes, in reality, uh, fights aren't as long as they are in a movie. Um, in reality, when you get hit in the face, I'm not talking about during a fight. I'm talking about, you know, it's Black Friday, and I I'm the one that's going to get that plasma TV on sale for $5, and somebody gets punched. It is a real shock to the system. 
especially if you end up getting knocked down from it. And a whole lot of the time, that's all it takes. Not all the time, but a lot of the time, that's all it takes. But that doesn't really work out in books. When you focus on any part of a fight, make it spot on, spot on, then back away and add in the sensory details. For example, one of my posts is about different types of guns. I critiqued a work one time that mentioned um, someone shooting bullets out of a shotgun. That's wrong. That's not how that works. You need to know the specifics of it. Okay. You don't have to go into it, but you need to know what is correct. Then back out, tell me what you hear, see, feel, smell, not just in the actual fight, but in the surroundings. You know, if you have, um, you know, somebody asked me on, I can't, I'm so sorry, I don't remember your name, asked me about, um, do you taste blood during a fight? <laughs> No, yes and no. Of course, it's going to depend upon how much blood, um, but sometimes you don't, you, you feel the wet. I personally, I'm just speaking from my personal knowledge when I had a, a busted lip um, and it was running in my mouth as well as to the side and everything. I didn't notice the taste in my lip. I just noticed the coldness on uh, my lip. My husband played rugby and he broke his nose and, you know, the blood ran down the back of his throat and he said, you know, it's sticky and yuck like snot, but he doesn't remember quite tasting it. But I don't think it would be out of line to mention the taste of the blood. Those are things that, that you can mention. Um, and for some reason, you know, sensory um, details seem to exist in a time dimension on their own. So even though the fight is relatively quick, those sensory details that you put in don't make the length of the fight unrealistic. But first and last, your details have to serve the story. Um, oh, in the Hunger Games, I noticed this. I laughed about this with somebody. Not once did Katniss use the restroom. I thought about that when she came on screen and she had that full suit. I thought, now, how's she going to go to the bathroom in the woods with that suit on? Well, they didn't put that in there. Not because going to the bathroom is not realistic, but it really doesn't serve the story. So again, take a break from the action for those sensory details. Um, that's why I mentioned things. Um, I put things on the um, on fightright.net, like a cauliflower ear, like a, um, a boxer's break, different things that will happen during a fight. You know, if you break your hand during the fight, it, it may pop. It may not, but it may pop. And so that popping sound is something that you could mention. Ringing in the ears is something you can mention. So back out let your reader feel what it's like to be in the scene. Then get a little bit of blood spattered on them. And then when you go back into the fight, be technically correct. But not so technically correct that you um, make it beyond the comprehension of some of your readers. All right, speaking of sensory details, and I think I'm getting ahead of myself here because this might answer some of the next question too. Tina Yeager asked for the sounds of fighting. You know, that depends on the fight. Um, if they're in armor, you're going to hear metal scraping on metal. Um, as far as, you know, and the same thing with swords, you're going to hear swords against metal. I will say that I've been told by my coach who knows how to knife fight 
wouldn't surprise me if he'd been in several. Um, but he said in the movies, there's a lot of the sound of blade against blade. And he said, that's that's not realistic. That's not how that generally works. But I, I don't think it would be out of line to mention the scrape of a blade against another blade. Definitely in fencing, you know, you're going to hear more of that. As far as hand-to-hand -hand sounds, a punch to the face has a smacking sound, as does the punch to the body if it doesn't have clothes on it. When it has clothing on it, or if they're wearing the clothing as one would wear underneath armor, which is actually pretty thick and padded, it's going to make more of a thud sound. It's the same thing with kicks. It's either going to be a slap or it's going to be a thud, depending on the clothing. When you're hit in the stomach um, or in the side, uh, again, fightright.net, I'm going to address liver, liver strikes, which are deadly, deadly suckers. Um, you are going to make a sound. You can't help that. The air is being forced out of your body. So when you get, you know, punched in the breadbasket, you're going to make a Ugh! sound. Now, as far as screaming, here's something that bothers me. In movies, they have people attacked and they're screaming. Um, I think attacks more often than not are a lot like drowning in that they happen right in front of your nose and you don't see it. Um, and they're very quiet. Some people panic and get quiet. I get quiet in a panic. Um, it's something I've had to train myself to not do. And, and we do train to do that in self-defense. It just feels awkward to be in a parking lot and shriek at the top of your lungs. It does, even when you're scared. So don't assume there's going to be screaming involved in every attack. Some people, again, like me, just clam up. Now, if the two combatants are trained fighters, you're going to hear totally different sounds than you do, um, you know, two kids tussling on a playground. When trained fighters fight, um, they make a sound with every single strike, not only to get power to the strike, but whenever you strike, you're open your body up for attack. You remember earlier when I mentioned about punching and kicking, it, it leaves your sides very vulnerable. So when you make that sound, what you're doing is giving not only power to the punch, but making that sound causes your abs to tighten up. It tightens up your core and protects it so that if a punch does make it through, you're protected. So that sound serves two purposes. Well, it also helps you with your breathing sometimes. Actually, I think it makes my breathing, makes it harder for me to breathe, but it's twofold. It does give a little power to the punch, but the most important thing is it's tightening up your core. If you ever watch a Muay Thai fight, they, they're they loud. They're loud fighters, and that's because they are trained to take rib breaker kicks, and they know to keep their core tight. And so they make sounds, and uh, every fighter is going to make a little different sound. Every gym, you may notice that gyms have a different sound, and I make different sounds depending on the strike. Um, my punches, the sounds I make with punches are different than the, the sounds I make with knees. When I punch, I breathe out sh 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 sh. When I do knees, I make a oos, oos, oos sound. And that's because I'm drawing my knee up towards my body. And so my abs are getting crunched. But mainly, if you're kneeing somebody, you're incredibly close to them. And you have to have your core even tighter than you would punching. That's just me. And when I make that sound, it tightens everything up even more. So there you go. There's a few sounds involved in a fight. 
Carol Lemke asks, what is one thing a writer should not do in writing a fight scene? That is a very good question. And you know what? That kind of goes back to um, earlier when um, we talked about different scenarios and the sensory details around a fight scene and, and making things completely accurate. You should never be so technical that you exclude your readers. Um, I would never write um, describing me defending myself on the ground as uh, using an omoplata because unless you know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or you speak Portuguese, you don't know that that's a shoulder crank. If you use technical words, they need to come about naturally. They don't need to be an author intrusion. Um, a really good example of this is the, the book, The Princess Bride, in the fighting scenes. Um, you are told what their sounds, uh, the sounds of their feet shuffling around on the ground, or um, told the different moves, but it, it's it's kind of a kind of a part of it. It's it's part of their banter back and forth. So, um, and you kind of know what each of those things mean based on the description of the movement of the body. So, when you add in technical details. Don't make them so technical that your readers, you know, get tossed out of the story. In the book, it's not Lone Survivor. What is that? Um, it's one, it's a book about, oh, American Sniper by Chris Kyle. He has an entire chapter devoted to the types of guns that he personally likes, but it has its very own chapter. He knows that not everybody reading that book, although they may be interested in guns, may not be that interested in guns. He knew that it would isolate some readers or his editors knew it would isolate some readers. And so um, he kind of made it a chapter on its own. It's, it's pretty convenient. You know, if you want to know about his guns, boom, just go straight to that chapter. So again, the number one thing, get your facts straight, but don't make it so technical that there is an author intrusion Let's see, I have time for about one more. What we got? Jesse Roberts asks, how do different types of clothing affect blade fights? And I believe uh, knife fights, sword fights were mentioned. You know, that's a two-prong sort of thing. You got to make a choice. Ease of movement, or do you want to obscure the shape of your body? If you'll look at fencing, if you'll look at, you know, if you look at pictures of the three musketeers and that sort of thing, these are people that wore close fitting clothing. Okay. Jump to Aaron Burr. I know that's not swords, but it was his clothing came into play. Aaron Burr, when he went for his duel, if I'm not mistaken, it was Aaron Burr, right? Oh, I know somebody is going to immediately write in and I got the wrong person, but I'm pretty sure it's Aaron Burr. He went to his duel wearing huge coats. He wore several. And that is because he wanted to distort his body and make the aim off of his opponent. It's the same thing with knives. It can distort the outline of the body and make it a little harder to land those kill shots. But the clothing is going to get in the way of your personal performance. I believe it's Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where someone which is a beautiful movie. If you have not seen that movie, even if you aren't into martial arts and stuff, 
that movie is absolutely beautiful. It seems like there is a scene where someone takes um, someone else's sword with their sleeve. Um, again, that's a movie and it's beautiful and it's perfect. Don't you dare say I want to change any part of that movie because I don't. But if you grab somebody's blade, if you wrap, if your sleeve gets wrapped around it and you pull it back toward yourself, you have an open end of a blade. You can grab a hold of it, but your blade is still wrapped up in your clothes. And that I'm, I'm going to mark that down as a negative. Also, I think it probably depends on the blade and how much it might cut through clothing. I don't know. I've never swung a blade at clothing, and I would imagine it would matter absolutely what the clothing was made of. But in that whole scenario, uh, Jesse, you got to make a choice. Do you want ease of movement or do you want to distort the shape of your body? And I believe I've actually gone over time, but you know what? Normally my shows uh, on the Geek Block are 30 minutes, but I knew I might go on and on a bit too long on this subject as it's really a subject I absolutely love. I encourage every one of you, writers or not, to learn how to defend yourself. You are worth defending 100% of the time. God made you. You're worthy. Learn how to defend yourself. That is it for this episode of the Geek Block FightRight.net edition. Don't forget, um, FightRight.net will be up and going pretty soon. I will give you all plenty of heads up on that. And if you want me to look over your fight scene, you can contact me through Quill Pen Editorial Services. And that's it for me. I'll see you guys next month. I do believe I will be roping Nadine, Nadine Brandes in. I think, Nadine, if you're listening to this, uh, will you be on the show next month, please? Until next time, that's it for the Geek Block. Live long and prosper in Christ. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.